Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a faith community committed to dismantling oppression and building beloved community, a place of shared liberation, joy, and belonging. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. comes with a bit of a choir rehearsal, just so that when the part comes in this exciting, exciting epic of a hymn, we are ready for it. The hymn is uh, Turn the World Around, and there's a part in the middle um, where, with good practice, we can sing with gusto. It goes, do you know who I am? Do I know who you are? See we one another clearly? Do we know who we are? You know? Uh, do, do you know who I am? Say it with me. Help me practice. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I, do I know who you are? See we one another clearly. Do we know who we are? Okay, it goes like this. Do you know who? I am, do I know who you are? Try that one. Do you know who I am? Do I know who you are? See we one another clearly. Do we know who we are? See we one another. out of nowhere in a flash and all of a sudden the slide will say it's your turn it will not literally say that but it will and we'll sing with courage and we'll sing with gusto and I'll help you out would you rise let's start at the beginning I'll see you all the way through and meet you at the end 
time. It's charged with something. It's a surprise. It's a delight. It's whoa. Pick your favorite, but do pick one. When we get to whoa, and it's coming up right now. Here we go. One, two, one, two, three. Whoa. I can't. I can't. I can't do this anymore, she screams in pain. I place my hands gently on her shoulders and ask her to look into my eyes. Her shoulders drop a bit. Without saying a word, I start breathing. In through my nose, slowly out my mouth. She begins to follow my lead. Soon we are in harmony. You can do this. Listen to your body. It knows what to do. In through the nose. Out through the mouth. In through the nose. Slowly out the mouth. Her shoulders drop further. The tension in her forehead softens, and her sense of panic melts away. In through the nose, slowly out the mouth. In through the nose, slowly out the mouth. Through this simple act of breathing together, she is present again in this moment, listening to the wisdom of her own body. She is doing it. We are doing it together. I'm a labor and delivery nurse. Breathing is central to my practice every day. More and more, the world seems to be contracting harder and faster than I can cope with some days. I find myself rushing through the rhythm of my life, not taking a much needed pause to notice. There is so much external noise, commentary, and excess. I frequently have to remind myself to slow down, 
breathe, and listen deeply to my own intuition and what it's telling me. More and more recently, I have been noticing similarities in the sacredness I experience breathing with another and trusting that we can move through pain and difficult moments in the hospital room and the sacredness here in this sanctuary. When I'm here at church, in community, when we are breathing together, my shoulders drop a bit, my feeling of panic melts away, and I reclaim my ability to be present in the moment. I have a sense of shared understanding that we will get through this together. Please, congregation, let's breathe together. Take a moment to notice your breathing. Breathe in a love and a pride for who you are today, how far you've come, the person you've grown to be. Now breathe out, and with it, let go of what you're not yet. Lean into the unknown tomorrow. The person you're yet to become, embrace all this too. As you become more aware of the body holding you, breathing in and breathing out, I invite you to think about how you'd like to grow today. Keep this as your hope, your plan, your prayer, and let's hold all this possibility together with three meaningful breaths. Peace and inspiration, wonder and possibility, each of these await us in this time together. They're in the familiar places and where we never thought to look. May our faith brighten the path and show the way. I'd now like to invite Dr. Glenn Thomas to light the flame of our chalice and let the words of our covenant rekindle our connection to the history and guide us into the future of our shared faith. Together, let us say, love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love and to help one another. We have been called to love ourselves and each other, just as we already are. Let this love help us to give, receive, and grow the blessing of beloved community in our hearts, now and always. Let's begin. Be 
In the holy circle of day and night, dark and light, the Advent season continues with our Christian friends and kin in this community and beyond. And we're right in the middle of a festival celebrated by our Jewish friends and kindred inside this community and all over the world. Does anyone know what it's called? It is Hanukkah. The celebration, the remembering of hope and determination and that big, beautiful word, resilience. When the times are hard and hope is hard to find, resilience is the ability to get back up, to stay in community even when the times are hard. And so, the, in true Unitarian Universalist traditions, the Advent wreath has made space for another faith to join the table. The menorah sets our table even more full. May the spirits of hope and joy and love and determination be with you now and always. And speaking of determination, we have a gift for you, a surprise. It's a small gift. It's one of my favorites, but for the life of me, I cannot remember what it's called. Would you, would you hand, those, hand those gifts out? Ushers are here to help. And they're coming around. What are they? They're, there's some green there and purple. I see an orange one and a blue. Hmm. Oh, just reach in there and grab them. Yeah, just. There are plenty. I can see already that some folks know what this is already, have been acquainted before. And I can see in some fingers that uh, some of us have not seen this before. That's just how we need it. Who knows the name of the gift going around? It's, come, it's on the way. Anyone know the name? Ah, yes, that's right. Yes. It's a trap. Paulo de Bouquet with color commentary. <laughs> Who's seen a finger trap before? Yes, okay. Anyone new to the finger trap? Yes, wonderful, fantastic. Okay, we're going to teach you just how it goes and how it tends to go. The finger trap, uh, the best... Sources we have tell us that the finger trap actually comes to us from Japan, but is made of bamboo called Chinese bamboo. And in this 
And in this trap, what we call a trap, there is an actual usefulness beyond just trickery. Did you know that it's a medical tool? It's often used after surgery. Say you had uh, surgery on your finger. It's often, it was often used to keep your finger separated and uplifted, just like, you know, yes, it's, it's true. It's true. I've, I've seen the documentation. It's, it's wild and true. Yeah. I've just handed you an ancient medical tool. But these days, we use it as a finger trap. Here's what we'll do. The first activity we'll do is you take one finger and you put it in one side. And you take another finger and you put it in the other side. One finger from one hand, one finger from the other hand. Right. Now, the first goal is to free yourself. Go right ahead. Let me know when you're done. Cool. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. What'd you do? How do you do that? Ah, I see. So there, you had you had your two fingers, and in. And instead of pulling, because that's what the fingers want to do, instead of pulling, you went in closer together. Ah. Sometimes the solution isn't always the one you thought it was going to be. It's in a different direction entirely. All right. Here's the second one. You take one finger from one hand, and you stick it in one side, and you take one finger from the other, and you go the other way. Now, without using your big finger or your little finger... Without using your big finger or little finger at all, free yourself. It's a little tougher, right? For some, it's a little tougher. For some, it's a lot tougher. Ah, yes, cool. What did you do? How did you do that? Uh-huh. You, it looks like you got, you got even closer together, and that allowed one to get free, and then, and then that helped you get the other one free? Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, we don't, we don't all get out at the same time, but when we do, uh, this is what we do is we use, we use that freedom to free others because uh, the only way we get free is if we all get free together. Isn't that right? All right. Now, the third and the final, the... The pièce de résistance, as it were. Take one finger from one hand and you place it in one side of the trap. And then you take the finger of a person next to you. Or around you. Oh, my. <laughs> my friends, it is time to free the community. I think it. Oh, uh huh. Bam. Okay. Yes, way to go. Way to go. Are we free? We're getting there. We're getting there. Yes. Yes. I'm seeing freedom spring up everywhere. 
Yeah. Okay. What, what, what was the solution? Was, was it the same as before, or did you do something different? What's that? You, you each helped, helped each other, and then I heard, what's Cooperating, yes. Twisting, yeah, yes, yes. What did you do? You wiggle your finger a little bit, and and, and then it comes out. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, that's that's right. Because uh, sometimes the way out, sometimes the solution requires uh, that we turn, that we bend, that we accommodate each other and cooperate that we use more than our words, no matter how juicy the argument can feel. So, in this moment, where our precious, beautiful selves greet the dawning of a new day, know that the solutions are out there. They come from getting closer together. They often require something different than we had originally thought before. And by getting closer, by daring to twist and bend a little bit, we can all get free together. Don't believe me? Ask the trap. May it be so with us now and always. There are many many, many celebrations of light and shade going on all around the world and a few going on right here. I want to make sure you know about them. We have a Blue Holiday service that's taking place on Saturday at 7. The Blue Holiday service is a service for those of us who have experienced hard times during the season. It's good not to be alone It's good to get closer together. We're creating that community on Saturday at 7. Won't you come? And the solstice, Yule. We're celebrating solstice and the Yule on Thursday, next Thursday at 7. You guessed it. Come and celebrate the turning of of dark and light. We have another week, don't we? What's that? Next. Yes. Yes. Did I, say that, did I say that wrong? You said next week. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. Next. <laughs> next, next. I'm sorry, the 21st. The 21st at 7. And our Christmas pageant is on that Saturday. The Saturday, uh, the 23rd. I got that one. At 4 p.m. Come celebrate with us. Make community of all kinds. And finally... Our Christmas Eve candlelight service is on Sunday at 7 p.m. Especially if you've never seen a candlelight service, if you've never participated in one, you have to come. It's so cool. In that hand, there'll be freedom. In that hand, where I'm bound,
you know, as, as a conductor, that's my, my training academically, as a conductor, I found that choirs often overlook the thing we call rests. It's those, there are notes. Everybody loves the notes. They love to sing them. But rests are indications that you stop singing. And singers don't like that. <laughs> they speed past them as if they were mere suggestions. I used to reactively quip. I was annoyed. I'd say, if you treat a stop sign like you do a rest, I will never ride in a car with you. But pressure doesn't really foster deeper understanding, does it? So I went closer. I tried this. I said, approach a rest as if it were, as if you were driving a car and you approached a stop sign with a newborn in your back seat. Counterintuitive. But the softer approach is the one that worked. The metaphor establishing an immediate connection to tender life illuminated the importance of rest. Rest isn't just a crisis response or a daily indulgence. It's a human right to be cherished. Amidst life's relentless gear turning, grasping can seem counterintuitive. Grasping this can be counterintuitive, but that's, that's just the trap. Rest isn't a detraction from progress, it's an essential part of it. To journey forth without breaking, we need to cultivate a space of sanctuary and rest for our well-being. And so I invite you into the spirit of contemplation and stillness and prayer. Eternal Spirit, in recalling the story of the Maccabees' tenacity, we remember that hope comes not from a blazing sun, but a resilient flame. A tiny candle is a testimony to this. And so against the drum that beats more, be more, get more, pay more, we deny consumerism in this season of peace. We assert the wisdom found in our mind's stillness. Help us redefine the sacred work. Help us rest. It's in this space that the community gathers our joys and our sorrows and our wonders and our truths. Here in the space, we speak them. Some of us are typing them. Some of us are holding them silent. Whatever you do, 
know that the community holds you and your truths. We hold them with us. And so if you would speak, the circle is open. Blessings for Laura Lee. Thank you. And for Nancy. And for Nancy. And Brian. For Philip. For, for Angie. For the McDonald sisters and Rita. For Stan. For your mother. To inclusivity in this season. for all these truths and the stories within them, for all we keep silent and all that is within our community, and for our world, for our leaders, for our children, for the children that live in us and the children yet to come, for all the people, all the beings and all of creation, may there be peace, may there be love, and may love come with justice and break every chain. May we find guidance. May we find healing. May our minds be open. May we always pray in the name of love. Amen. Spirit of love,
Somer Bey. We come with gratitude for this space of rest and renewal. We come remembering that in community, we have all that we need. Today, after the service, I hope you'll make your way downstairs to the Maker's Fair, where we have some of all that we need. Artisans from within our community sharing their gifts with us. And together in this moment, we practice giving and receiving and growing together. Remembering that when we share what we have and we ask for what we need, together we have enough. So if this is a time in your life when you need to receive, please let me or any of the ministers and staff know there are gifts of the community for us to share with you. And if this is a time when you are able to give, our offering in the month of December goes to support Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism or BLUE. BLUE is committed to expanding the power and capacity of black Unitarian Universalism lists within Unitarian Universalism to providing support and information and resources, justice making and liberation for black people through our faith. Having welcoming and empowering places for black Unitarian Universalists is incredibly important. Space to celebrate blackness, spirituality and love a place where folks can bring all of who they are. So this morning, I invite you to give as generously as you're able to support the work of Blue.
Here's a reading from the poet, the man, the myth, the legend, the Harlem Renaissance pioneer, Langston Hughes. Mr. Hughes's poem, he titles, Mother to Son. Well, son, I'll tell you, life for me ain't been no crystal stare. It's had tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up and places with no carpet on the floor, bare. But all the time, I've been a climber and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. So boy, don't you turn back. Don't you set down on the steps because you'll find it's kind of hard. Don't you fall now. Because I'm still going. I'm still climbing. And life for me ain't been no crystal stair. The Wisdom of Langston Hughes.
Thank you, Paolo. I'm so grateful for this time we get to have together each week, for this time of rest and renewal, for this time to take courage, to remember who we are and who we want to be and where we are going together. Those moments to remember are so important for us and for me. To know that we have named together, that we are building beloved community here right now in this congregation, that we are on a journey together to experience what that is like, to know it for ourselves here in this lifetime, here with these people. Over this last year, we're on this journey together to understand what beloved community really is, what it means, what it is asking of us. We've come to understand that beloved community is a community ordered in love, a love that is so palpable, so powerful, that it transforms us as individuals and transforms the world. When we are living with that kind of love, things like poverty, folks living without homes, it's simply not allowed because human decency doesn't allow for it. When we are living with that kind of powerful, palpable love of beloved community, racism and all forms of discrimination and bigotry and prejudice are replaced by an all-inclusive spirit. That is the outcome of beloved community, a place where we can seek justice and know love together across difference. But this is not one place that we arrive to, it is a practice. It is not about perfection, but about progress. It's about knowing where we're heading and continuing on the journey, even and especially when it is difficult together. Bringing attention and care, openness and honesty and love underneath it all. Being willing to start again and again and again. Here in our congregation, we've been talking a lot about beloved community, and we will throughout this year. We've talked about what it is to really welcome each other with openness and intention and acceptance. We've talked about learning from each other's experiences and how we have to learn to listen first to really learn from each other. We've talked about what it is to stay at the table in times of conflict. And now in this month of December, we are in the theme of listening deeply with open hearts and open minds. Listening deeply with open hearts and open minds. Now, a few weeks ago when we were talking about what it is to stay at the table in times of conflict, I was grateful to hear from Adrienne Marie Brown. She was talking about what happened to her when someone was bringing her feedback that was hard to hear. And she said she ran through the whole gauntlet of emotions, defensiveness, dismissiveness, uh, you're not really listening to me, clearly you don't know who I am, all of these things went through her mind before she could finally breathe and get curious about what folks were saying to her. I appreciated that because I hold her up as someone I really respect and try to be like, and I know that I experience those uh, barriers to deep listening all the time. Defensiveness, dismissiveness, uh, you don't know me, etc. 
And I want to say that in the last few months, as we've been talking more about beloved community, about what that experience would be like, to know that here, to know each and every one of us as whole and holy and worthy, loved right here in this community, I have gotten some feedback that has been hard to hear. Feedback where folks come up to me and say, hey, I am all in for this vision of what beloved community is, but that is not what I experience here when I come to church. I show up and people ask me if I'm new and I've been here a million times. I show up and I've been here a million times and I don't know anybody. I show up and nobody knows my name. I show up and I feel judged. Judged as somebody who's a veteran. Judged as someone who's coming as a single person. Not included if I don't have kids, etc., etc. Folks are sharing these experiences where they are trying to connect trying to feel a part of, and are not feeling that welcome and that beloved community that we talk about. They're naming the gap between their lived experience here and their lived, well, their dreamed for, hoped for experience that we put out there together. Now, this is not the first time I've heard this feedback about Unitarian Universalism in general. We have a great theology. We talk a really good game. Um, I think we can all acknowledge that. But when we come to put it into practice, it's hard. It is hard work to do what our faith is asking of us. And it is hard here in this congregation, too, in our own lives, outside of these walls as well. But we have got to be able to listen deeply, open hearts and open minds to what comes in when it unsettles us and when it fills us with joy. I'm so grateful for the vulnerability it has taken for folks to share their lived, real experiences of what it is to be here, to hear the goal, and to know a different reality. As Dr. Glenn Thomas shared with us last week, the words of James Baldwin, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Getting that accurate assessment of where we really are is so important. In fact, that's what has been described to me as what humility is. Humility is not shame or thinking you're bad or being humiliated. Humility is about having an accurate assessment of yourself. This is what I try to take in and where I try to live so that I know what I'm working from in my own life. Now, community organizers will tell you that if you want to change a community, if you want to change a culture into something that is more life-giving, you have to start first with where things really are. You have to go out and talk to people and survey the community and hear from them what is going on for real in your life. What are the struggles you are facing? What do you need? And out of that, together, create the dream of what could be, what should be, what ought to be. So you have to live in the tension as a community organizer, as a person of faith, I would say, between how things are and how we want them to be. Living in that tension is a huge part of what it is to be human, to be alive, to be someone who is striving to create beloved community. Now, I hear this, and I hear in particular the words of Dr. James Cohn, one of the founders of Black Liberation Theology, who wrote, we have a dream that has not been realized. 
To be sure, we have talked and written about this dream. Indeed, every Sunday morning, he says, Sunday, every Sunday morning, black people gather in our churches to find out where we are in relation to the actualization of our dream. The black church community believes that where there is no vision, the people will perish. If people have no dreams, they will accept the world as it is and will not seek to change it. To dream is to know what is ain't supposed to be. You've heard me quote this time and time again. We come to church to find out where we are in relation to the actualization of our dreams. If we don't dream, then we will accept the world as it is and not seek to change it. To dream, to hold out those visions, to talk about beloved community, is to know that what is ain't supposed to be. Something else is where we are headed, where we are going. Now, folks whose identities are marginalized know that the world is not as it's supposed to be all the time. That is a lived experience daily. Folks who have identities that are reinforced and affirmed by the dominant culture may miss this fact from time to time, that things aren't the way we hope for them to be, the way they are supposed to be. This gap is important to keep our eyes on keep our bodies in, to stand in that gap between what is and what ought to be. I know for myself some of the feedback that I have heard in the congregation, especially from folks of color who come to church, is that it's hard sometimes, hard to not be welcomed and a part of fully. Many folks I've been told by them and say, I come online now because I want the message and the music without the microaggressions. Hard, important to hear, important to acknowledge, to know the gap between what is and where we want to be. Now, I name this not just to bring us down, because I know that we know what beloved community is and we know how to build it. I brought up from the offices downstairs that heart that the Creating Beloved Community team made last year where we invited each other. When have you noticed? When have you seen us creating beloved community together? What does it look like? And we got all your feedback, and it's all in that heart, ways you have seen that happening here at church. And we have a long way to go. But I want us to know we are not alone in this journey. This is true in congregations and in our world and for us as individuals living in this gap. Now, I wanted to share with you the story of a congregation a friend of mine is leading down in Atlanta. This is a congregation that has devoted years now to learning theologically and to the practices of welcoming and inclusion and belonging. They've been called out by the Unitarian Universalist Association as a beacon. They've created videos. They've done all this work. And they have found that they keep running into the same problem. Now, they have trained their greeters to greet everybody who comes into the door with one key phrase. I'm so glad you're here. First words out of your mouth. I'm so glad you're here. Nothing else first. And instead, do you know what their greeters say after years and hours and hours of training and role playing? Are you new here? All the time. And they are trying really, really hard. My friend who's the minister there says that instead of getting totally frustrated with this, they just go back at it. 
more role plays, more opportunities to practice, start again. What do we say when we greet somebody at church, she says? I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Such a small but important practice. Such an important practice as we learn to create beloved community together. Moving in this gap between how things are and how we want them to be. This is our work. This is our work as humans. This is our work here in church. This is our work as spiritual beings to keep noticing and naming the distance between where we are and where we want to be and to commit ourselves to staying there even when it's uncomfortable and trying to move closer to the dream. We need to do this together. Now, Parker Palmer, the Quaker author and founder of the Center for Courage and Renewal, talks a lot about this idea of the gap. And I want to invite him to talk to us for a couple of minutes about what this is and what this practice is. Place where we've always been as human beings, to, to hold this tension between what is and the hardness of it and the darkness of it, and on the other hand, what we know to be possible, because we've seen examples of it, not, not wish dreams, not fantasies, but, but we know what a world at peace looks like, because every now and then that happens. We know what the sharing of abundance looks like, because every now and then that happens. We know what forgiveness and kindness look like, because every now and then that happens. So we have to stand in this place between what is and what could and should be, but we have to stand there without flipping out on one side or the other. To flip out on the side of too much reality is to be drawn into corrosive cynicism. This is simply the way things are and I'll cut my deal with it and the devil take the hindmost. To flip out on the other side toward what could and should be is to fall into an equally dangerous trap which I call irrelevant idealism. So corrosive cynicism and irrelevant idealism sound like 180 degrees apart, but in fact they take us to the same place, which is out of the action. They disengage us from this place in the gap where we need to stand in order to move things forward. How, how do we stand there? What do we do to stand there? Well, I think, again, we have to reach deep inside ourselves. We have to, we have to practice the powers that open the heart, that open the mind, that invite the soul into being. And I think, I think we have a lot of historical precedent about how people do that. It's this remarkable combination or the holding of a paradox in which we do, we do inner work, call it prayer, call it meditation, call it self-searching, call it the examined life, which is what Socrates called it. We do that inner work, but we do it in community. Um, the inner work is important. It's how we face ourselves. But to do it in community is equally important because we are so gifted at self-delusion. Uh, we are so gifted at hearing only certain voices within ourselves, maybe the voices that want to tell us how wonderful we are, but not hearing those other voices that say, wait a minute, you've got some things to learn here. Wait a minute, you're operating out of your shadow. Wait a minute, you're filled with anger jealousy, resentment, and you need to drain all that away in order to be in community. 
it's only in community that we're going to have a chance to check and correct our own self-perceptions. And, and some of us do that on humanistic grounds, remembering Socrates saying the unexamined life is not worth living. That's what the liberal arts are all about. The liberal arts are a form of inner work, rightly understood. Some of us do that on spiritual grounds, believing that, that I'm a Quaker and our language for it is there's that of God in every person. And the voice that I want most to hear is that, that voice of, of sacred truth within myself, which, which doesn't play games with my ego or my, my emotions or my intellect, but, but which simply brings me to ground. Grateful for him, grateful for his wisdom, for the reminder that we have to do this work in community, that it requires us being together to listen deeply not only to the voice of the holy, the voice of the sacred, our own small, still, inner voice, but to listen to each other, to learn what needs to be different and to be held in community as we work to make those changes. There's another quote he's got where he talks about, welcome to the human race. Welcome to us all living in this way where we are always learning, listening deeply and working towards change. Welcome to the human race, and I say welcome to church. Welcome to the spiritual practice of beginning again and again, of engaging together in the rituals, in the traditions, in the ways that we can continue to grow, where we can let go of the attachments of social conditions, where we can live into beloved community, that experience of love so powerful, it can transform each and every one of us, creating a world of hope and possibility where each and every person can flourish. That is the work we are about together in our hearts, in our church, in our world. I invite you to keep on standing in the gap with me. Amen. step.
let us keep on with one more word, one more step, one more prayer, one more song that we might build beloved community right here, right now. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. If you find spiritual sustenance from this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org slash donate to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person or online for Sunday worship, we'd love to welcome you. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.